I get to introduce to you another one of my favorite people, um, David Mann. David, go ahead and come on up. Uh, David, as you know, last week you got to hear from Lewis Erickson. This week you get to hear from David Mann. And I'm not leaving the pulpit, I promise. I'm going to be back next week. But this is amazing because it has provided me opportunities uh, to focus on uh, preparing for Easter coming up and to prepare for the, the How to Study Scripture Well class, which we're going to be having right after this service. It's just allowed me to have some time to do some other things uh, as David and Lewis has been preparing. And, and Lewis did a great job. And this week you get to hear uh, from David who I don't... I, and. I've known David since I was, well, since I can remember, and I've never met anybody that loves God's Word more than David. And if you know him, that's true. And so you're going to be blessed to hear from that, uh, from this sermon that he has been diligently preparing for like three months, um, give or take. So we might be lucky to get out of here by 1.15. Uh, no, I told him we got to be out on, on time. But anyway, let me pray for David, and then um, we'll be able to, to just go forward. Father, I just thank you for this brother, and I know um, his heart this morning is to exalt you and to give um, like the full counsel of your word to your people. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just bless him as he speaks, that you would speak through him, and that our hearts would be open to receive from you this morning. Not from David. I know he doesn't want us to receive from him. But Father, that we would receive from you, and we would receive from your word, and what you would have for us this morning through your spirit. And so, Lord, just by your spirit, empower him to speak boldly and to proclaim your word. I pray these things in your name. Amen. David. Thank you, Darren, my brother. So... Morning, church. Um, that's a wonderful introduction. It is a joy and a privilege to be uh, here with you this morning. In fact, I consider it one of the greatest gifts, one of the highest callings of my life, that the Sovereign Lord would appoint me to stand here with His church and uh, draw our attention to so many of the glorious truths that He has recorded for us in His written words. And and this morning we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, 8 to 15, and, and our passage today is all about being in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to start with a funny request. I'm sorry, I'm just goofy enough to forget things from time to time. And um, whenever I preach, I always have my Bible right here. You say, was well, it just a symbol because you never use it? Yeah. No, it is. It is a sign that I am under subjection and under authority of the Word of God. If I don't have that, I got nothing. Um, and I forgot my Bible. It's, in, it's downstairs, and I just realized, does somebody have a book? Does somebody, come on, um, does somebody have a Bible? I hope. Um, but, uh, and it's not just a symbol, but it's a visual uh, to convey that we are subject to the Word of God. Thank the Lord for His Word. So, last week, our dear brother Lewis Erickson uh, preached uh, the first part of this uh, section and left off in verse 8, and that's where uh, we will begin uh, this morning. Mark Owens is uh, going to read us through our text, and technically, um, I was supposed to do 9 through 15, but it really begins in 8. So we're going we're gonna to have, uh, we're not going back all the way to 1-1, one, one, but, uh, but we're going back to 8, and we'll pick up there. Mark, why don't you, if you would, read uh, our text for us. Good morning, friends. Please stand out of respect for God's word if you can this morning. 
Colossians 2, 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. May God anoint and bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Mark. Um, we've been prayed for, but I want to ask the Lord to bless our time. Let's pray. Father, without your word, we have nothing. Without the cross, we are dead in our sins. But Lord, with your word, with the cross, with how you have intervened in our lives, we are complete. Help us to understand what that means and how we should live this morning. In Jesus' name. Well, our passage today contains so incredibly much. We're going to attempt to touch on each sec- touch on each uh, each section of it, and so we're going to begin with a section that we might call "Being in Christ." And looking at the the first verses of our passage, and beginning with Colossians two eight. We have a picture of two camps of people. Now, I like simple ideas. I'm pretty simple-minded by nature, and I just like things that are easily understood. And in the scriptures, God describes every single person uh, in the world, everyone who has ever lived or ever will live, as being in one of only two camps of people. They are either in Adam or they are in Christ. And That's it. It's simple. It's just two camps, in Adam or in Christ. And I like that. Everyone, actually, the scripture says, is born in Adam. And sadly, that's not a pretty picture. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your family name. It doesn't matter your nation. It doesn't matter your family status. We're all born in Adam. And scripture relates that those born in Adam are actually born dead. Physically alive, sure, but born spiritually dead to God. And they're described in our Colossians passage here as captives. They are captive, held by the philosophies, deception, traditions, basic principles of this world. Um, And listen how the scripture describes these captives, this camp, those born in Adam. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead 
You, there you go. You were born. You were born dead. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. We were, like the rest, by nature objects of wrath. Ugh. In Romans 5, Paul tells us this, that sin and death entered the world through Adam and spread to each and every one born after Adam. And because of this inheriting of sin, so to speak, from Adam, because they themselves also rebel against God, all men stand then righteously condemned by God's, when compared with, and, and by God's perfect laws, including you and including me. And remember this. We'll come back to this. So in Adam, death rules. All mankind is born into Adam's camp. All mankind, all of us, live in this camp and will die, as Jesus told the Pharisees, in this camp. Die in Adam Unless, unless you're in the other camp. And the other camp is what? In Christ. In Adam or in Christ. And that's where we pick up uh, in verse 9 um, uh, this week. And we'll begin with a very simple looking phrase. It's two words. Uh, but frankly, you and I will never plumb the depths of this phrase. Never fully comprehend it in this life. That phrase is in him. In Christ. Who is this Jesus, the Christ, in whom it is we can be described? Um, it would more than fill up all the sermons I could ever preach to fully describe uh, uh, who he is. But let's go back no further than Colossians 1. Uh, just a few paragraphs back and look at Paul's description. You may remember it. I know you do. Uh, um, uh, Colossians 1, great section uh, to see who it is that we can somehow be in. Jesus the Christ is the God-man who is higher than greater than all of creation, who as a being self-existing from eternity past, in and of himself, before and beyond all created things, this Jesus, the Christ, which means God's anointed, this one has created all things, all things, all things, everywhere, Everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything you can see, as well as everything you can't see. Worlds and universes and all creatures and powers and authorities and you and me. Jesus, the Christ, created all these things by himself and for himself, Revelation says. All of creation created, sustained, and, and, and glued together, held together then and now by him and for him. Jesus, the Christ, as creator, is the head, the authority over his body, the church, and he is the firstborn to be resurrected from the dead. He is over all. All these things.
things. And it is in the pleasure of God that the fullness of God, the fullness of God dwells in him bodily, in Jesus the Christ. And Paul adds in Philippians, as we sang, uh, this is the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he rules over all. Okay, side note, uh, this is not to be charged against my time because it's not on my notes. Um, but, but the song, the song um, about why is the name Jesus above every name? Because the, G, the name Jesus is Yahshua. It is Yah saves. It is Yah is salvation. And when you sing it, and the reason that name for us is above every name is because he has redeemed us to the praise of his grace. So just a footnote there. Um, he is Lord. He rules over all. And now if you're in him, start the timer again. Um, if you are in him, in Christ, you, the little wisp of creation that you are, you somehow in our text have been made complete that's past tense. That's already done. That's right now. That's not waiting for someday. That's now. That's complete. And you in Christ have been made complete. You've been made full when you were empty. You were made complete when you were so very incomplete. Now in Christ, you're sufficient. When, when, when the truth is you're more characterized by your insufficiency these days than you are your sufficiencies. Paul says, if it's the case that you are in Christ, then don't be taken captive by the worldly thinking. It's beneath you, sons and daughters, to think like a worldling. Because God's mystery, that is Christ himself, has been made known to you. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God has made them known to you. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4. For God, and I may quote it in a different version. For God who said, made, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So don't be taken captive by the frail thinking of this world when God has given you the light of the knowledge knowledge of the glory of God in the face, in the being of Christ. And remember, dear Christian, that just as every knee bows to Christ Jesus, your Lord, in the same way, every philosophy of this world shuts its mouth when it's in the presence of him who is the head over all rule and authority. You, brothers and sisters, church, are complete in Christ. You need nothing else but Christ. You have a completed adoption. You are now a son or daughter of the sovereign Lord. You have a complete salvation from the penalty of your own fallenness. You have a complete inheritance awaiting you. The inheritance of a kingdom awaiting you in heaven. You have a complete security. You are kept how? By the power of the Almighty. If I was keeping myself, I'd be worried. But the scripture says I'm kept. Listen to Peter say it. Listen. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is a place where you and I can rest complete because he is the head over all rule and all authority. That is glorious indeed. That's how our passage begins. We have a little further to go. So let's, let's look at uh, verses 11 and 12. Uh, what is this all about? Well, verses 11 and 12 are all about the sign of being a true Jew of Judah, a true Jew. Let's look at it, Colossians 2. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So when God called Abraham to a covenant relationship in Genesis 17, he gave Abraham a sign, uh, a symbol, a sign that would physically mark his people as his people. But as signs usually do, this sign was actually directing our attention to something else, something even more profound. In Genesis 17, God says this to Abraham. Now, as, as for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the, the sign, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, so it's pretty clear. Um, the physical circumcision is the sign of the covenant relationship between God and his people. But was it really all about just a little piece of flesh? And by the way, in our verse, how do you do a circumcision without hands? Or did this outward symbol really indicate something of greater significance about God's covenant people? Well, as usual, the guy in the pulpit rarely asks a question that he can't find an answer for. And blessedly, uh, in this case, God is uh, very clear in what he means. So let's let God's word, as Darren and we are teaching in the class uh, after our sermon time, uh, let's let God's word interpret God's word for our, uh, the answer for our question. Back in Deuteronomy, we begin to see what God is meaning. In Deuteronomy 10, it says this, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Wait, what? Circumcise your heart? Look at these next verses, Deuteronomy 30. Moreover, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. Jeremiah 4. Circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth and like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And then in the New Testament, uh, in Romans, God says this. 
Romans 2. But he is a true Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So the way that you know a true Jew, true to what God really intends a person to be, is not a physical sign of the flesh at all. It's a sign you see in the attitude of the heart. Okay, I get it. Uh, God says circumcise your heart, but that is a problem. How do I do that? How do you circumcise your heart? I can't even get to my heart. How, do I, how does that happen? Let's read one of those verses again. Let's look carefully. Deuteronomy 36. Moreover, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart with all your soul, so that you may live. So let's say it as plainly as I can say it. The circumcision of a man or a woman's heart is an act of God. The circumcision of a man or woman's heart is an act of God. And that's precisely what verse 11 says in our text. Look at it now, Colossians 2.11. And in, in him, in Christ, you, also were, um, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Um, only God can do that in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So in Christ, he has circumcised our hearts, so that we may love Yahweh, our God, with all of our heart and with all of our soul. So with the Jews, I think people wonder about this. It was never a case of salvation by surgery with the Jews. That's never been the case. By a thing you do, you're No, it was never the case that circumcision saved you. Circumcision was only a sign directing attention to the reality that was ultimately found where? In the heart. Like baptism is a sign pointing to the reality of what is found in the heart. And that's exactly where Paul goes now. To be a true Jew meant that you had the outward sign of the true inward reality. The outward reality, I should say, of the right sign and the inward reality of a right heart, soul, and mind toward God fully given over living for him alone. But, but there can be a problem because it's possible to have the right sign but the wrong heart and uh, to be outwardly marked but without the inward heart change. In fact, that's what it means to be a hypocrite. Hypocrite is a biblical word. Um, Jesus said this to the outwardly religious Pharisees of his day. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So how do I get the right heart? How do I get the right heart? So how do you get from being a Pharisee like that whose heart is far from God, how do you get from there 
to having a circumcised heart, a heart completely given over to God. Do we ever see an example of that in the scriptures? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus had all the signs of being a, a Jew. He had the heritage. He had the outward sign of circumcision that said he was a son of Abraham. He had knowledge of the Torah, religious traditions of the Jew, requirements and duties of the law he knew. Nicodemus looked the part, sounded right, acted right. But Nicodemus had one problem. What was it? Nicodemus was dead. Nicodemus was in Adam. He was physically alive. He was religiously very alive. But he was spiritually dead. Dead to God. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Adam. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's never been about the sign. It's always been about the heart. This borning again, this borning from above of the human heart, of your heart, the circumcision of the human heart, of your heart and mine, is an act of God. This is the new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. This is being in Christ. So what an incredible promise it is that those who have been born from above, who have been buried with him in baptism, are raised up, resurrected, through faith in the working of God. Extraordinary, glorious, and true truth. Okay, um, in your study of the scripture, uh, as you're going through the scripture, the end of one phrase will sometimes lead you into a whole nother arena, and that's what happens here. Through faith in the working of God. And what do you ask there? Well, what is the working of God? So let's ask that question. He tells us in verses 13 and 14. So in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, here is the working of God. Ready? When you were dead, there's dead again, okay? That's, uh, Colossians and Ephesians are kind of like a mirror image. They say a lot of the same things, but Colossians 2, 13, when you were dead in your transgressions, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having 
canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You've heard that. Those are glorious words. It takes the mind heavenward when we see those words. But what do those words mean? Just exactly what are you saying? Born dead to God, our mutiny stood against us. Our lives full of acts of rebellion against God's intent for us, yours and my purposeful, willful disobedience against his perfect laws. That's how we all lived. All of us. That's what dead people do. Dead people don't love God. They don't seek God. They don't want to do things his way. They're dead. In fact, Scripture says they hate God. They consider God their enemy. Enemy? Strong words. In fact, Scripture says by their very nature in Adam, they are objects of God's wrath. Remember our Ephesians 2 passage. So how do people like that, born dead, born and living as objects of God's wrath like you and me, how do you ever get to be alive and complete in Christ like our text is saying? Think of those words for just a second. Dead in Adam, by nature, objects of the wrath of God. Let that sink in by our very birth and nature and, and, and our, in ourselves, we were dead to God and, and an object of the wrath of God, the very thing that is the most fearsome of all. We were that. You can't come to God on your own. None of us can. He's holy, you're not. Standing between, between him and you is a barrier of sin in your life. It's like a huge wall you've built out of the bricks of your own disobedience. And the Greek word here indicates something like a, like a, like a handwritten note of debt. Like you've handwritten an IOU to God on every brick in the wall, acknowledging you, you were right, I, I was wrong, I I owe you. I am in debt to you for this sin. And so now every brick is saying to you, what? Uh-uh. Nope. You're not coming this way. You're not worthy. You getting to God? Remember what you've done? <laughs> Whoa. Apparently, apparently that's an illustration. Um, that's, a little, that's a little low. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this up. Um, there we go. Brian, see, you need to have a pro do these things, not an amateur like me. So, but, but again, so every brick is screaming at you. You coming this way, uh-uh, not happening. You remember what you've done? You remember this one over and over? You're not getting to him. You think you can come to him, the holy one of all eternity? Not happening. Really? Actually, those kinds of hostile, condemning words would be true. For an object of the wrath of God. You're either in Adam. Or you're in Christ. So what if the working of God. That's what we're looking for. What if the working of God in our verse here. Is truly describing the God of grace. 
taking those handwritten IOUs, those condemning certificates of your legal guilt, you're, you're actually legally guilty, your actual true debt against God, and then taking them out of the way so that they are no longer a barrier, no longer a wall between you and him. Why? Because as our verse says, he nailed them to the cross. And by faith in Christ's work, you are now an object of the grace of God rather than an object of the wrath of God. This is the working of God. That mountain of willful rebellion, that wall of separation, you built brick by brick out of your own mutiny. Jesus has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And if you're in Christ, the, the barrier between you and God is gone. And you've been changed forever from an enemy to a son. To a daughter, no longer an enemy, no longer an object of the wrath of God, now adopted by the God of creation. Hallelujah indeed. Are you kidding? Is this make-believe? Because that really sounds too good to be true. Unless the scripture says it is true. And the scripture says it is true. Look at these verses, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The thing that condemned you, he took it away. He nailed it to the cross and dealt with it there. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death to life no judgment no condemnation for those everlastingly in Christ Romans 5 1 therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ these are verses that declare who we now are in Christ no longer enemies no condemnation no hostility between you and him you brothers and sisters are in Christ and this is truth of immeasurable worth to you and me so we want to look at this one more way visually and I've done this in class. I've never done it in a sermon before, so we'll see how this works. You know, Darren, Darren draws such great stick figures to illustrate things. And I thought, well, just maybe, I'm not an artist like that. But, but my brother Lewis Erickson, who's out here somewhere, I saw him earlier, um, he preached this first part of this passage last week. So, well, he used some visuals that were really good. And so I thought, I'll, I'll try that and use something we can look at called ledger cards. Now, for some of you, if you're older than a few days, you know what a ledger card is. For some of you, you have no idea. Now, they're not, ledger cards aren't really used that much anymore in accounting. Uh, but even if you've never heard of a ledger card, the idea is pretty simple. 
And we can use it to illustrate uh, our point here. A ledger card is used to keep track of a person's assets, the things they have that are worth something, and their liabilities, the things they owe and things they're responsible to pay. And the old ledger cards used by companies uh, often look like this. They were kind of the ones I posted on in the 60s were like light green. Um, and so uh, they, they have, and you can see it there, and it's pretty simple looking at this card. You can see, uh, for instance, this person's account. You'd keep track of their assets, the pluses on the left side, and the liabilities, the minuses on the other side. And actually, this is one of the ways the Bible speaks about our sin as a legal debt owed to God. So we'll use these cards as a visual to see how we can track some of the account transactions the Bible talks about. But before we get very far in, in, our, in our looking there, there is a marvelous word that we can use to describe uh, what God has wrought uh, uh, and what he has brought about in rescuing us. And that word is the word imputation. Now, imputation is kind of a technical here. It's a theological word. It's a bit foreign to our ears, but to impute means to credit or to assign a characteristic to a person, to lay responsibility or even the blame for something, to charge a person with an act or quality because of the conduct of another, to impute is to credit something to someone, to reckon it to, to put it on their account, to count it as true, if you will. Though we haven't been using the word yet, imputation really describes exactly what the scripture relates. The Bible often uses the word credited or reckoned to when describing this idea. So we're going to look at three imputations this morning that we find in scripture. We're going to begin by looking at Adam's account and my account, your account. Adam rebelled against God and his ledger card uh, would have reflected, as you see up there, a legal indebtedness to God. And after Adam's first sin, his fallen life was characterized by sin debts marked on his account. And so you can see it as it comes up there. In the first imputation, we're going to see that as Scripture relates, by the design of God, the Bible says that Adam was a representative for us. Adam's fallen sinful nature was credited to, it was commuted to, or uh, imputed to, or accounted to our account as well. And so here you see it, and now on your account, all of those born in Adam, who was our representative, well, we like inherited Adam's sin nature. Adam's sin condemned him and us to death. Because now we're grouped together as rebels against God. So listen to these words from Romans 5 that begin to explain it a little bit better. Uh, therefore, and, and I'm going to read through these and, 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 and maybe unpack them just a little bit. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, by the transgression of the one, Adam, the many died. The judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. You see, what Adam did impacted us. He was our representative. 
through one transgression, one trans- there resulted in condemnation to all men. This is by the design of God. You say, I don't think that's fair. I didn't ask for a representative. You're the created. You're the clay. This is how he designed it and how he relates it in Scripture. And through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So being born in Adam, when Adam, my representative, fell, I fell into sin and the condemnation of God. So Adam's ledger card looked like this. And when I was born in Adam, uh, Adam collected a full list of sins on his own. And I've done the same thing, collected a full list of my own. And now my ledger card and yours, you can put your name at the top mentally, looks like the one on the right. You say, wait a second. Go ahead, say it. Wait a second. Go ahead. Wait a second. Don't I have some things on the asset side? Nah, the news isn't good there. Um, so scripture says, Romans 3, there's none who understands. There's, there's none who seeks for God. All, all have turned aside together. Together. <laughs> this is on those days that you're feeling pretty good about yourself, read this verse. Together, they have become useless. Uh, there's none who does good. There's not even one. Okay. If that, I don't know how low this goes. I can still read it. Um, so... <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I, I usually try to not have goof-ups like that, but I did today, didn't I? Uh, so there's no one who does good. No, am I growing? Uh, I don't think so. I think this is going down. Uh, but look at Isaiah 64. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a filthy garments like a filthy robe on us and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind they take us away not a good picture so no in Adam you have no assets only liabilities no way to pay your true legal debt to God and that's what happens you're born in Adam but now let's look at another ledger card let's look at Jesus account See, Jesus wasn't born in Adam. That's why the virgin birth is a big deal. He, uh, Jesus was not born dead to God. Jesus was not born in Adam. In fact, he's like a second Adam. He's like a new Adam, a new representative for us. And Jesus' ledger card looked like this. Born of a virgin without the sin of, of Adam's lineage. He was born and lived his, lived his life with zero liabilities. And in addition, Jesus did every righteous act the Father intended him to do. Perfectly, 100% obedience in every way. Actually doing the things God commanded for him to do. Jesus lived the only perfect, acceptable to God life ever to be lived. And the Bible says Jesus had no sin at all. None, spotless, perfect, without stain. Combined with perfect obedience, man, you wish your card could look like that. Yeah, yes, go ahead and say yes. I wish my card could look like that. We all wish our ledger card could look like Jesus' card with no, no um, liabilities, all assets. 
But for that to happen, what are you going to do with your sin? With your failures, with your liabilities. You can't pay for all those liabilities. You don't even have any assets in God's eyes. It's like you would, you would need somebody else to pay for all your sinning liabilities and then credit you with all of their righteous act, assets. But who's going to do that? Let's go. All right. I hope this is becoming clear for all of us. Who's going to do that? Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what the message of, the, of salvation is about. And this is what God has made possible in Christ. And this is the glory of, of an imputation of the righteousness of God. So let's look at the second of three imputations and see how God has worked out all of this. You see, through faith in Christ, um, the sins, the liabilities, which are actually yours up on the screen um, are credited to Jesus' account, imputed to, credit, reckoned to Jesus' account. And there he carries them to the cross and pays for them there with the sinless sacrifice of himself. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 5. You know them well. They are glorious indeed. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself himself, not counting men's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is complete forgiveness, complete salvation. Peter says that he bore in his body on the cross our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we are healed in the second imputation if we are in Christ and that the, 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 every word in this passage we give him praise for and, and the, the claps are for what he has done um, if you are in Christ then God has taken all of the sin, the mutiny, the rebellion and the failure on your own ledger card and imputed it to Jesus' account. And from there, it was nailed to the cross of Christ. Uh, how can this even be true? I mean, uh, no wonder the, the, the Bible calls this the gospel good news. <sighs> but there's one more imputation to look at, and it's one you desperately need. You see, righteousness, living life perfectly, obedient to God's way, living for him. It's very important to Yahweh. Not just for avoiding, we're not talking here just about avoiding sin and wrongdoing. This is the positive side. This is the flip side of that. Righteousness is the accomplishment of everything that the Lord commands you, gives you to do. And in fact, the Bible says that without righteousness, you won't stand before the Lord. You need righteousness, but you don't have it. Remember your account? Jesus said you must be perfect, remember? He said you, are to be, you must be perfect, that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And you respond just like me. But uh, I can't be perfect. That's the point. You can't. Only one ever could. 
Yeah, your liabilities can all be gone, imputed to Jesus and fully paid for, but you still need the perfect works of a perfect life. Perfect righteousness. You don't have it. And when you stand there, all you're wearing is the rags of a filthy robe. Remember Isaiah? Let's look now at our third imputation. Now what you could never have achieved for yourself, God takes the perfect righteousness of Christ and credits it to your account. He imputes it to all those in Christ, to all who trust on, who believe on Jesus, and these in Christ are declared righteous by God. His declaration, the judge declares those in Christ Jesus, my son, are righteous. Listen to these verses from Romans 4. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, believed God, and it was credited. These, are, these words all have meaning. Here you go, Lewis. It credited. Um, it, it, is to your, it, it is counted to you as righteousness. 4, 5, the, the one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his Faith, his faith is counted as, imputed to, his faith is counted as righteousness. For six, for just like David also uh, speaks of the blessing on whom, on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You need righteousness. You'll never have it. But you get credited with the righteousness of another Listen to Paul in Philippians 3. You'll remember these words, and now they apply even more. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. In other words, I didn't obey the law 100% completely all the time like Jesus. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but, that, but a righteousness which is by faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you see how it's all beginning to work? That by faith in him, we are a new creature. By faith in him, our sins are nailed to a cross. By faith in him, his righteousness now credited to me, imputed to you and to me, declared righteous. How can this be? This is the God-exalting glory of an imputed, credited righteousness. The righteous of another, of Jesus, credited to my empty account by a God who saves through faith and declares us righteous in Christ. It's glorious and humbling, isn't it? Yeah, it's just as if I'd never sinned. You've heard that as a definition for justification. Yeah, it's that, just as if I'd never sinned. But, but it's also just as if I'd always fully accomplished everything that God intended me to do. So the imputations go this way and that. In 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, by faith in Christ, you stand complete. Complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. You stand uncondemned. Complete salvation. 
rescued, you, rescued by the work of another, by his finished work, credited as declared righteous in God's eyes forever. Now that leads us to our final verse in our text for today, Colossians 2.15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That is a sermon in, it, in, in and of itself, really, but let's ask this. What does this mean? You know, Scripture describes our struggle, and it describes it clearly in this way. Uh, Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the scripture describes a war in heaven that will ultimately be won when our enemy is finally thrown down. In Revelation 12, listen to what our enemy is called and listen what our enemy does. Revelation 12. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. Listen. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. You and I have an accuser. Job had an accuser. Satan answered Yahweh, does Job fear God for nothing? You put forth your hand right now, touch all that he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. We have an accuser. Our accuser accuses us of being unworthy of the kingdom of heaven, that we're really worthy only of the kingdom of darkness in which we were born. In Adam, dead to God, claimed as captives, as captives of the fallen. And the accuser could always depend on the law, the law of God to underscore his point, to point out our true unworthiness of heaven because we could never keep God's law. But now our accuser has been disarmed of that tool of accusation because our passage says that God has taken the certificate of our legal debt, our sin against God, out of the way, nailing it to the cross. But how does he make a public display of them? How does he, as one translation says, put them to open shame, these powers and rulers? How does he show his triumph over them? In Ephesians 4, Paul quotes from Psalm 68, which may describe what has happened here. So let's, let's look at that. Psalm 68 says, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives. Paul quotes it in Ephesians 4. In other words, when Jesus ascended to heaven after the cross, he took with him a group he had liberated. They had been captive to the devil, but now by their faith they are forever captive to Christ Jesus. In Christ, rescued by his work on the cross, Jesus came in 
captured the captives who had died with their faith in him, and now he leads them, when he ascended on high, he leads them to everlasting freedom with himself, humiliating and shaming the accusing powers of darkness who were powerless to stop it. Much like the conquering generals of the Roman age would parade their captives in front of their vanquished foe. Now he who dwells in him, he who dwells in the fullness of God, in, in him in, in whom dwells the fullness of God in bodily form, this demonstrates a glimpse of what will be when he has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power, and has put all things in subjection under his feet forever. Lord, may that day come soon. To the praise of the glory of your saving grace. So, before we move into a celebration of the Lord's Supper, I want to close out our time together in this passage with some practical questions. And when I was a young man, I didn't really want to impose on people. I didn't want to make them feel bad. I, I didn't want to, I just pretty much tiptoe around things. Well, I'm not a young man anymore. And so let's ask some questions, okay? What camp are you in? This is not a rhetorical question. You're not all in Christ. What camp are you in? Be legit. Ask the question and answer it. I'm asking you to examine yourself and answer that question. Am I in Adam or am I in Christ? You were born dead to God. Have you been born from above like Jesus said, Nicodemus, you have to be? Have you been? Not rhetorical. How do you intend to deal with the legal debt that you owe against the holiness of God? The sin on your account. How do you intend to deal with that? Scripture says you're going to deal with it. How do you intend to do that? What robes will you be wearing when you stand before the judge of heaven and earth? Because it's happening. Not yet, but it will. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I'm playing the bad guy here because I want us to think of these things now while there is yet a day of salvation. Okay, so um, will it be your own filthy rag that you stand in? The robe of your own human righteous things? Or will your robe be marked by the philosophies of this world, sophisticated but dead? Will you stand rightly accused and unable to pay? Or will you be wearing the spotless robe of the righteousness of Christ? The robe given to you by the Father, wrapping you up in Jesus. Galatians 3 says, Those baptized in Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ by faith in his finished work for your redemption on the cross. Don't walk out of here without asking and answering those questions legitimately. We're going to sing a song, and, and it, we're going to have folks down front here. And um, it, obviously, I've not been clear enough. With This isn't time to be clear enough. You may have questions. You may want to, you, you may want to come forward and talk to somebody. But I don't know. And I don't know, I thought I would, but I, how do you, 
all of those kinds of questions. We've got folks down here. If you want to come forward and pray about somebody who's just killing you, that they, they're not, you know they're not redeemed, and, and you want to pray for them. If you just want to rededicate your own life and say, Lord, man, I have been living like a son of Adam, and I don't want to do that anymore. Um, but we're going to sing a song now, and if he has given you the eyes of faith to see, I call upon you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to believe and become in Christ.